a disciple learns to fish from Jesus, and then Jesus calls his disciples to fish for the kingdom, both near and far. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this, these verses in Mark, as we work our way through this first chapter, as we're have we been reminded of, of the gospel, that the saving rule of God is near in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, O oh Lord, teach us uh, what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless the one who preaches, enabling him, enabling me to be faithful and true. Bless us as hearers of your word, trusting God the Holy Spirit to do a work of grace in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 16 and read through verse 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Gloucester, Massachusetts was established on Cape Ann, just north of Boston, by fishermen in 1623. And since its founding, this quaint uh, New England town has been a center of commercial fishing. In 1925, the Fisherman's Memorial was erected to commemorate those fishermen who had been lost at sea. The memorial depicts a seaman who is at the wheel on what is called the slopping deck of a fishing boat. His hands are on the wheel and he's gazing out across Gloucester Harbor and beyond to the sea. The inscription on that monument reads, they that go down to the sea in ships. Fishing is woven into the very fabric of the town of Gloucester. And today we learn that fishing is woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not going to speak about everything concerning being a disciple of Christ, but just a few things from this text. Mark will unfold in a fuller sense what it means to be a disciple in the verses and chapters to come in his gospel. But today we want to look at three things in particular. The call, the cost, and the calling of discipleship. First, the call of discipleship. Jesus saw Simon and Andrew and said to them, follow me, verse 17. And a little later, Jesus saw James and John and he called them, verse 50. Dr. Hoke was my pastor in the early 80s as Renee and I were members of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
And Dr. Hope called me to head up a ministry. His words carried a great deal of weight with me. And to be frank about it, it was just hard to say no to Don Hoke. Maybe you have a person in your life that their words are so weighty, it's just hard to say no. Well, the first disciples had such an individual in their lives, and it wasn't Dr. Hope, but it was Jesus himself. His words carried more than a lot of weight. His words carried absolute authority. He had sovereign authority, and it was not merely hard to say no to Jesus. Jesus's call, Jesus's request was irresistible. Jesus sovereignly and authoritatively called these first disciples, these four men, to literally drop what they were doing and follow him. After our Lord's baptism that we've already considered in Mark and the wilderness temptation, and then after John's arrest, the text tells us in verse verses 14 through 15 that Jesus came into Galilee and he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. We considered this last week, calling people to repentance and to faith. And the base of operations for Jesus in his Galilean ministry, which actually was much of Jesus's ministry here on earth, was the fishing town of Capernaum on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. Mark records in verse 16 that, that Jesus was traveling by the Sea of Galilee, and I can only presume that he's somewhere near Capernaum. And he saw two sets of fishermen out fishing, or at least engaged in the fishing business. Simon and Andrew were casting a net, verse 16, and James and John were mending their nets, verse 19. Commentators and scholars believe that there were as many as five different types of nets that fishermen used on the Sea of Galilee in the first century. Most likely, our four fishermen were using a very specific net, which measured 5 to 15 feet in diameter and had weights on it and a rope tied in the middle so that they would cast it out into the water and because of the weights it would sink and on its way down the hope was that it would entrap um, many fish there'd be a good catch and then they would pull that net in by the rope Simon and Andrew were casting their net they grew up in Bethsaida and likely this town, though scholars aren't sure of its location, but likely it was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, probably near Capernaum. Simon and Andrew grew up fishing. Fishing was woven into the fabric of their lives. It's who they were. And the same can be said for James and for John. They had a fishing business, a family business. The four men plied their trade on the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Gennesaret or Lake 
Tiberius. And then one day, as they were doing what they did every day, fishing, their entire lives drastically changed because one man was walking along the seashore, as our text indicates. Everything changed with the sovereign call of Jesus to them to be his disciples, to be learners in his kingdom. The accounts of calling the first disciples are roughly the same in both Matthew and Mark. You look at Matthew chapter 4, it tracks very well with Mark chapter 1, but in Luke chapter 5, we see Luke giving much more details about this encounter with Jesus with these four men. Jesus, according to Luke, was teaching on the seashore, and the crowd began to press in on him, and he was being pushed ever so close to the water's edge, and so he commissioned Peter to get in his boat, ask Peter to let out a bit from shore, and told Peter to let his net down. Peter complained, can you believe that? I mean, right at the beginning of their relationship, well, near the beginning. He said, Lord, we've been out here all night fishing. We haven't caught one thing. How many of you know what that's like to be out all night or all day fishing and not catch one thing? I would say this, that a bad day fishing is better than a, what, a good day in the office or something like that. So just keep that in mind. Uh, not here at church. It's always good here. Right, Derek? All right, good good answer. Well, Peter complied, let his net down, and the catch was so great, Peter himself could not haul in, called his buddies to come over, and they hauled in the catch. Everyone was astonished. Peter was overcome with the reality of Jesus' lordship, and he professed his unworthiness to even be in the same boat with Jesus. So that's Luke's account. It doesn't contradict Mark and Matthew. It's just added detail to the story. And then now let's throw in the fourth gospel, John. What does John have to say about Jesus' encounter with these four men? The gospel of John indicates that the four fishermen in our text today already had a relationship with Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 40, uh, 42 teaches that Andrew and an unnamed disciple, that is, disciple of, of John the Baptist, was with John when John identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. And they began to follow Jesus. It is likely that the unnamed disciple of John was, or the unnamed disciple of Andrew, was John in our text today. And the fourth gospel tells us that Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter uh, to Jesus a year earlier. And so it stands to reason that John introduced his brother James to Jesus. John 1 seems to show that these four men had already encountered Jesus as they were followers 
of John the Baptist, and then they began to follow Jesus, the Lamb of God. And that happened as much as a year prior to the event that we're looking at in Mark chapter 1 uh, today. These men would be trained by Jesus and later called to be apostles. But first, these four men were called as disciples. And so what is significant about Mark's account, again, Mark is ever so brief, not only with the baptism, the wilderness temptations, but also with this encounter of calling the first disciples. What is the significance? I think we can draw from this that first, a disciple is one who first encountered Jesus savingly. They have been graciously enabled to hear the gospel call. Under John, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Mark 1, chapter, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, there the Lord Jesus himself preaching the gospel of God, that it is near, and the response is to repent and believe and come under the saving rule of God. So first, a disciple is one who is a follower of Jesus savingly. And second, a disciple is one who is a follower of Jesus as a learner. In other words, a disciple's whole life is oriented towards Jesus. And the text causes us to consider two questions in our own lives. First, have we responded to the nearness of the saving rule of God in Christ by repenting of our sin and turning to Him in saving faith? And if the answer to that question is yes, praise God, then the second question, am I following Jesus? Is my life oriented towards Him? Am I a disciple who is following Him like a student would follow a great teacher? And indeed, the disciple is a learner. I want to suggest to you that this is one of the greatest callings that we can have to be called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Gloucester Fisherman's Memorial stands as a testimony to the many who have answered the, the noble call to go down to the sea and bring back a catch for the dining room table. But our text today represents our Lord calling certain people to the greatest calling, the greatest call that can be issued. Drop what you're doing and come and follow me. A disciple is called. And for us today, have we been so called? And have we responded to that call, first in repentance and faith, and then secondly, in orienting our entire life towards Jesus, following after him? A disciple is called, but we have to ask this question, at what cost? And that's the second point. Look at verses 18 and also verse 20. Just two words, they left. Speaking of the four men. In 1983, Renee and I sensed a call to full-time Christian work. 
And I really struggled with this call and this decision. If I were to answer this call, it would mean dying to a plan, dying to a career that I had trained for and hoped for in the field of chemistry. And we need Christian chemists. We need Christian scientists. Isn't that a great way? to serve the Lord, but the cost of obeying Christ's call at that time became very real to me. It would drastically change my orientation. It would drastically uh, change my plans and the path of my life. It was greatly unexpected at that time. It would cost it would cost throwing away years of preparation to be a scientist, to be a chemist. Even more striking is the response of the four fishermen. As we said earlier, they, they've been following Jesus for at least a year. And at this moment, Jesus called them to specifically respond in following him. And how did they respond? Their response was radical. We might say radical obedience. Simon and Peter, or Simon, Peter, and Andrew responded to this call by leaving their nets and presumably their boat to follow Jesus, verse 18. And the sense is they literally just rode their boat up on shore and walked away from it. That's what we seem to, that's what seems to be indicated in our text. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. And then we look at James and Andrew in verse 20. They responded similarly. They were with Zebedee, their father, and servants in the boat, and they were mending the nets, repairing them. And Jesus called them, and they just, they left. They left their father with the servants and all the nets and all the tackle in the boat, and they set out to follow Jesus. In both cases, the response was a radical obedience, a response that cost them everything. Yes, Zebedee, good old dad, would stay behind with the servants. He'd, he would make do with the family business, and at one point, Peter and Andrew did return to the trade of, of fishing for a brief time, but the point of the text is to impress upon us the radical nature of their obedience. What Jesus called them to do was to turn from everything and exclusively follow him, whatever the cost. Now, I've been to enough missionary conferences, not just here, but in other places, to know that this is often the call, if you're willing to go serve Jesus overseas, whatever the cost. And that can be used in a, in a manipulative way to put pressure on you. This is not what Jesus is doing. This is just simply the reality of the nature of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we leave it all to follow him. 
Later in Mark, our Lord will say this to his disciples. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. We read, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The the reformer Martin Luther said this, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ does not mean we turn from everything in the sense of we sell all our belongings and we live on the street just trusting Jesus. What it does mean is that our affections change from the things of this world to him and him alone. We die to gripping our reputation. We die to gripping our career plans. We die to holding tight our finances. We, we die to all of these things that we treasure so much in this life. We die to them being our God. We die to them being what is going to make us happy or joyful. We die to them as our Savior, and we embrace Jesus wholly. So I would not have you walk away from this text today thinking, I've got to sell everything I have and go live on the street to be a disciple of Jesus. No, but you have those affections to those things need to die. Our life no longer is to be oriented towards those things first and foremost, but oriented to the Lord Jesus Christ as our disciple. You know, the Fisherman's Memorial in Gloucester reminds us that fishing is a dangerous business. Untold number of Gloucester fishermen have died since 1623. The radical response to Jesus' call to follow him teaches us of the high cost of discipleship. Not that it may require our dying to everything in order to follow Jesus, but it will require dying to everything to follow Jesus. First question, have you responded to the call to be a disciple by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus and then following him, orienting your life to him? Second question, have you done so by dying to everything? to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as his disciples. And then lastly, the calling itself. Third, the, the calling of discipleship. Verse 17, listen, listen to what Jesus says. I will make you become fishers of men. One of the most enjoyable fishing trips I have ever had in all of my days fishing was a trip where I didn't fish. In fact, I didn't even touch a fly rod or a fishing pole for those who aren't fly fishermen. And here's why it was so enjoyable to me. Several years ago, a number of our young boys at Covenant were taken on a fishing excursion and their guide was Chuck Farneth. You may remember Chuck. Chuck was riding Evelyn Lewis's son-in-law, former members of this church. And I don't think it would be uh, too much to say that, that Chuck is a world-class champion fly fisherman. He is really good. I fished with him, I know. On this particular outing, these boys went with Chuck. And I had the, the privilege of being able to tag along and Chuck took them to, a, I think it's called Dry Run Creek that empties into the Norfolk River. And that creek is full of world-class brown trout, humongous brown trout. And, and it's restricted. You have to be handicapped or under 16 to fish Dry Run Creek. So um, you remember this, Jim. We were looking at these humongous trout. We couldn't even pick up a fly rod. But Chuck took the boys down into the water. He was with them in the water. And he was by them, coaching them, mentoring them, correcting them, helping them, teaching them, wanting them to learn how to become a fly fisherman. Chuck equipped the boys to fish. And it's striking that Jesus did not call the disciples and say, hey guys, go fish. And I don't mean the card game, not that it was around then. Notice what he said, I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus had, he called them, yes, he, he, he calls sinners to saving faith. And then he calls them to follow him to be so that he could be with them, so that he could equip them, so that he could teach them, so that he could model for them, so that he could encourage them, so that he could correct them, so that they would learn from him. That's what it means to be a disciple. We're following after the great teacher. We're learning from the great teacher. And Jesus said, come follow me. Come learn from me. Come to my school of fly fishing. And I'll teach you how to fish, not for food for the table, but souls for the kingdom. Jesus called ordinary fishermen who were not upper class. They're, they were considered to be uneducated. They didn't probably spend one day in rabbinical school. They were just laborers making a living fishing. They were businessmen. But irrespective of their social class, irrespective of their education, the point is their success in fishing had nothing to do with the fact that they knew how to fish. 
it had everything to do with their teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was going to retool them, remake them as his disciples to fish for souls for the kingdom. And this is true of all of Christ's disciples, including you and me. Jesus calls us to faith. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to follow him so that we would learn from him, so that he would teach us, of course, through his word that we have, that we would be discipled in the things of Christ to be useful in his kingdom. And so why do we fish for the kingdom? Why is it necessary that Jesus called these first disciples and he didn't call them to all sorts of things. He called them to one thing in particular, to follow him, and that as you follow me as a learner, I am going to make you become. I am going to teach you to be a fisherman. Now later he would teach these four and a few others that he would call to be the apostles, the 12 apostles, but they were first called as disciples. And given this grand picture of what discipleship in the kingdom looks like, and it looks like fishing, it looks like participating in the mission of God in fishing for souls for the kingdom. The Old Testament passage that Bob read earlier in Jeremiah 16 talks about fishers and hunters. And what Jeremiah is saying there is because of the the people's idolatry, the fishers and hunters are being sent out to gather these idolaters in order for judgment to take place. And our Lord began his ministry declaring the good news of the gospel, the saving rule of God was near in him, calling people to the only response, repentance and belief in the gospel. And in our text today, Jesus called the four to make them fishers of men, not to bring people under judgment, but to bring people to repentance and faith that they would have life and life everlasting under the sovereign and saving rule of God. And notice also that this passage is characterized by a sense of urgency. The four responded in radical obedience, but in verse 18, immediately they left their nets. And then in verse 20, immediately they left their father. I mean, this reflects the urgency of this this calling to fish for men's soul. Kingdom fishing is an urgent business. The the day of salvation is near. The, The day of salvation is our day. Our calling as Christ's disciples is to fish for the kingdom And and what should be our perspective as we fish for the kingdom? Again, we look to that Gloucester Fisherman Memorial that depicts the seaman at the wheel looking out over the harbor to the sea and beyond, and that's our perspective. That memorial represents someone seeing that the place where they fish was the whole ocean and what we should take from that is the place for Christ's disciples to fish for souls the whole world all the nations it's interesting that the inscription on the memorial 
is really from Psalm 107, verses 23 through 24. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. So here's the implication. Do, do we see our fishing hole, the place where we fish, being near? Maybe it's our family. You know, mothers, maybe it's your children that you spend so much time with. Same is true for fathers. Maybe it's our friends, our work colleagues, neighbors, our city, our state. We're called to fish for the kingdom in places that are near and people that are near. And in many respects, we can fish in the nations because so many of the nations are coming to us even here in Little Rock. But also this causes us to look beyond near to far that we fish, that God's people, Christ's disciples are to be about fishing in the nations, declaring the good news of the gospel, that the saving rule of God is near in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what's the response? Repent and believe. This, this, this worldwide perspective of fishing for men's souls under the sovereignty of God is reflected in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See your fishing, disciples being both near and far. And then look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, as you go, as you go about your life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always. That's the commission that Christ has given his church, that we're to be about fishing for the kingdom near and far in the nations. You know, my favorite fishing trip, as I mentioned earlier, is watching Chuck. But the amazing thing that Zach caught a 27 and a half inch beautiful brown trout and land that fish that may not impress some of you but it should that's a big fish on a $20 fly rod bought at a local chain now just remember just thinking how wonderful <laughs> this is Chuck's work with Zach really paid off and it was a deed that indeed was wondrous and that pales in comparison to the fact that as we fish for the kingdom we will see the wonderful deeds of God working in radically saving dead sinners and bringing them to life bringing them under the sovereign and saving rule of God in and through Jesus Christ, giving them new life, 
and calling them to fish for the kingdom. That's the wonder of this. We've been fish for and caught, saved, in order to be fishers for the kingdom of God. That sets the stage for so much of what Mark will encourage us with in light of being the church and of its proper role. Pray. Father in heaven, we do come and thank you for your work of grace in our lives. We, we thank you just for this reminder that at one point, someone uh, you used uh, for us and drew us in. We were in that net. And Father, because of your saving work in our lives, now you call us to go forth and to follow you and to learn from you and to become fishers of men's souls under the sovereignty of God. And so we pray, Father, that you would make us faithful as Christ's disciple to follow him and to fish for men, to be fishing for the kingdom of God, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Take your hymnal.